Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Federated just wants to say thanks to all local businesses in and around the state of Minnesota. You are our community partners, our neighbors, our families, and our friends. And when you need Federated, Federated is here to help. Visit federatedinsurance.com or call your local marketing representative to access trusted resources you may need during this pandemic. At Federated, it's our business to protect yours. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. We got frustrated. Um, they pushed and, uh, um, you know, we had a lot of guys playing a lot of minutes there in the second period and a lot of guys not. So we really, uh, we really shot ourselves. They clearly pushed real hard. I mean, our first period was as good as it gets. Their second was as good as it gets, but uh, but we fed into it by by the penalties for sure. Um, so I think that's probably what got away from us. And welcome in to Mackie and Judd. Actually, today Phil is out. Action Movie Rewind Friday. So uh, Chip Scoggins is going to spend the first segment or two with us talking about uh, what we just heard Dean Evison discussing, the Wilds' loss last night uh, in spectacular fashion, really, over the last two periods to the Golden Knights. Um, Predator is the action movie rewind film that we review that Mackie will join us for. And let me tell you right now, there are a lot of thoughts about Schwarzenegger's classic (laughs) 1987 chipper. I had never seen it. I had never seen it. And it was, um, let me just say I was pleasantly surprised. So I, I'm going to make a embarrassing admission here. I've never seen it. (laughs) I hadn't seen it either. I thought I had, I think. Yeah. None of us. Yeah. So Dex had, but Dex has seen it. So, that's right. Yeah, I've seen it. Uh, we were live. It, it's one of those ones that when it's on, I just kind of skip right over. It's, it's not <laughs> like Point Break stops me in my tracks every time. That one, yeah. I kind of. Ro- Roadhouse stops you. Point Break. <laughs> yeah. Goodfellas for sure. Goodfellas, you're yeah, you get, you're you're not going to bed if Goodfellas shows up. Oh hell no, no. That, that is a two and a half hour investment. All right, so boys, let's talk about, um, with Phil out today, let's talk about what happened at the X last night. It was a a 5-2 Golden Knights win against the Wild. And right before we started recording, Chip, you used the word that I think is completely appropriate. It was weird how the Wild, and by the way, this is the new Wild, right? Like, this is not the team, the teams that we've seen for so long. How they came out in the first period, took a 2-0 lead, and just were fantastic and then gradually disappeared i think you yeah. i think your word nailed it perfectly i think it was just weird how it went from 
you know, the wild going 85 to going 45. Yeah. And it felt like to me that, that, yeah, that game pivoted when that, the third goal was disallowed with the offsides. Vegas came right back after that and got on a power play. They didn't score. But from then on, it just felt like the Wild stopped playing. It was on their heels. They were, um, you know, the way they came out, they really took the fight to them and were putting all kinds of pressure on Flurry and they were buzzing and, and throwing pucks at him. And then they just stopped playing. I, I don't get it. I mean, it was those those – the second and third periods, they, they could not have been more back on their heels and just let Vegas dictate anything they wanted to do. So I, I I don't know what happened to flip that switch other than maybe, you know, not having that 3-0 lead and taking the wind out of themselves. But, I, you know, I, I don't know. It, it, it's, we haven't seen that team in a while. I'll say no, that. No. And what's weird, though, is you got so, – so, like, the whole thing with this team from – Day one, and Dean talked about this, and I actually respect it a lot. The whole thing was resilience, right? Like, okay, it's COVID, but we can't do a thing about that. So we're going to play. Like, we, like, yes, the circumstances for the 2021 season aren't good, but there's, but we can't change them. Um, and I really respected the fact that they sort of just pushed through, right? And mm-hmm. like, and like, to, so to what you're saying, if, if what had happened last night had happened in 2018, I would I would have said, oh yeah, of course, you know, like yeah, they they just stopped. That's how they are. Uh, but these guys had truly shown something different, and that's where I don't get where would that um, switch have been flipped with this group? That's what like I'm trying to figure that that out. And and you can say, well, it's just a blip. It was a bad game, or you know. But I'm sorry when I see a red flag like that from this team. I don't think you can dismiss it. Well, yeah, I don't think you dismiss it, and it, and it maybe you, maybe it'll prove to be a blip. But hey, this isn't February. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is the play. You, you can't just stop playing um, because things don't go your way, or you feel like the refs are calling stuff. I mean, you know what? Overcome it. You can't. Let's not blame the refs. Okay. Yeah. What was Fiala getting hooked or held? Yes, but you know what? Who cares? Keep playing and. For that, if that's what disrupted him and, and, and threw them off. Now, the one thing I, I do wonder about um, is how much did Johansson's injury and having to shuffle lines and you're playing with different guys that maybe you're not accustomed to, does that throw your game off uh, to that degree? Not to that degree. And again, I'll come back to they prided themselves on pushing through things. And, and like, sure. I'm. I'm sorry, Johansson going out is not like Erickson Eck going out. So, so yeah, no, I'm not right. No, no, I'm saying it can throw you off a little bit, but he's a third line winger. So, like, you're just substituting like Bukestad in. Yeah. Um, so, no, it wouldn't have done that. And, and look, I had a, I actually in, in the press box watching the game last night had a bit of a revelation about what I realized about officiating. Okay. Because I saw on Twitter, fans were going crazy. Like, the, yeah. the wild fans were upset. And you know what? In the first period, when what you're saying, they missed the Fiala call, which directly impacted that goal, and they missed a few things. I thought to myself, these guys are having a bad night officiating. Um, but the wild was playing its ass off. And so it's like it's like they were they were being hurt because they were playing so hard. Where I don't have any sympathy for the wild in the last two periods of that game is if you just let your foot off the gas and the officials screw you, too bad. 
like yeah like you, you you're not you're no longer helping yourself to be in a position where i feel empathy for you because the officials aren't doing a great job well and that's the thing it, it's you know it was a bad call and they should have you know it, you know whether you're up three and oh or or you're you know on a power play there or whatever but you, you can't that can't just be a blanket excuse for not playing well the rest of the game because of one call i mean it's that that call didn't uh, limit them to 16 shots on goal. <laughs> you know, I mean, Correct. you've been able to overcome that. And so, um, and, and you know, I would say give Vegas credit too. We saw when they want to crank it up, they're pretty darn good. Um, and I think you saw probably them at their best last night, the way they control the puck, uh, use their, you know, they, they have some, you know, stone. <laughs> And they have some just studs. Oh, he's good. Yeah, he's really good. I love the way he's a tough son of a gun, you know. Um, but so I think you have to give them a credit too for taking it to the wild. But there's got to be a better response than that. So I, I, I gotta imagine you're gonna see the best that they have to throw at uh, Saturday night. Because if you don't, then it's you know, then that red flag is a, a becomes a major red flag that you talked about. Dex, what what's your thought here? Because it, it does seem like. It's now pivotal, I think, in this series for for what Chip just said to happen. Like, they've got to come back really strong now. Like, you can't have a that, – that was so tepid for the last two periods that there has to be a response to basically sort of wash away the, the stench that this really looked like the old wild in yeah. the sense that they just sort of punted. They just sort of gave up. Yeah, it was frustrating to watch just because – and and there were some horse bleep calls. You can blame the referees, but the referees aren't in charge of you shooting nine times over the last 40, pay, 40 <laughs> minutes of the game. I mean, you, you came out in the first yeah. period, you solved Flurry right away, and you thought, oh, my goodness, the floodgates are going to open. And there's a ticky-tack offsides call because, you know, you're, you're, you're challenging offsides even before the play happens, but, like, that that's the rule. That's why they have this new offsides rule in place so you can catch these kind of things. And for you to just kind of quit for the last 40 minutes of that game, that's not on the referees. That's completely on you. And then also, I, th- I thought Vegas, which honestly, this part surprised me because they're not known to have staunch defense. Their blue line is is what is suspect. Um, Flurry's obviously phenomenal. They have great depth up top. They can score with uh, with all four lines, basically. But they just, it, it seemed like they put a clamps down and getting nothing towards Fleury. Like the Wild had nothing outside that last scrum the last two minutes when in, in any hockey game gets crazy like that. Outside of that last two minutes when the Wild were down two goals, they couldn't get anything towards Flurry, And I think that's a credit to Vegas just having a great shutdown defense, which I don't think we'll see again throughout the series. Like Chip said, you know, that was the best they played over the last 40 minutes by far. And they are a damn good team. Like, they they can play to that level, and, and they obviously competed for the President's Trophy, so they're one of the best teams in the NHL. But for the Wild just to have anemic offense over that last 40 minutes, like, that's not on the Zebras. That's on you. That is 100% on you. So Johansson going out, that shortens your bench a little bit. But at the same time, you need Fiala and Kaprizov. You need that. You need both those guys to start stepping up a little more. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting on Kaprizov. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say he's playing poorly, but he's finding out playoff hockey's different than the way it's being um, – you know, the way they check you, the way they yes. grab you, the way they're physical with you, the way they take away your ice and, and neutralize his ability to get out in open ice and skate the puck up. I mean, he just hasn't had many of those. I mean, you could probably count on one hand the number of times in the first three games where 
he's gotten the puck and really kind of brought it up the ice with, with speed, right? I mean, anytime yep. they're all over him. And, and we said it going in that when they made out their scouting report, it's clear whose name was number one on that list, mm-hmm. you know, yep. and, and he's feeling it right now. Now, you know, the pass was a beautiful pass to set up uh, Hartman on a goal. That was, a, a you know, a typical um, Kaprizov, you know, pass through traffic. It just, I, I texted Judd right after. He's like, how do you even see him there? But um, but he's finding out that, uh, one, you're a mark man, and two, playoff hockey is different. Yep, and that's the thing is, I, I think the best – way to look at that is they don't give you space like in the season it's it can be tough but i mean you have space you ultimately do in the playoffs you don't and and he thrives in space he thrives in being in the quiet areas of the offensive zone and sort of parking himself there and getting the puck and in the playoffs those areas are essentially eliminated consistently um and last night he and fiala were both minus threes, and in this series, they're a combined minus seven. And I will say this. I do think, like, I, I don't think you can just punt here, too. Like, I don't think you, you could just say, well, Kaprizov's being shut down. And so that's you got to find a way now, if you're Kaprizov, if you're Dean, you've got to find a way to counter that and and to sort of counterpunch what the Golden Knights are doing to you to get him involved way more. Because if we're going to just accept, well, he's not going to be a, a big factor, you're going to lose in about five games. Well, that's it. Are you talking shuffling who he plays with, or I'm, I'm strategically? Say, I'm saying I'm saying one strategically. I, I mean, I've been advocating, and so is Dex Chipper that he should play with Fiala more, and he did in the third period. You saw it at the night. end, yeah, yeah. yeah so, yeah. so they did that. But no, I'm saying strategically. I'm saying you you got to watch the film and see what they're doing um, to take away his time and space, and at least counter that because like you can't just accept. This team is not deep enough, right, to yeah. be like, well, Kaprizov's being taken away, and so you know what's going to happen? Nick Bukestad's going to explode. <laughs> like, they they don't have that gear. And yeah. Fiala uh, had eight shots on goal in game two and was fantastic, and Flurry was great. So yeah. I think what you have to do for, for Saturday is I think you have to spend a day looking at a way to at least create opportunities for Kaprizov. Yeah, and we and we you know we thought coming home and having the last change you'd be able to get the matchups that you wanted, and maybe they did last night. Um, I think they did, and it still didn't. You know, it didn't other than the the, the assist. But you're right. Um, at this point, when you've what is it uh, four goals in three games? Is that what they scored? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Two, yep. Four goals. So you you I mean you you should be open to anything at this point because. Um, you know they're the they have a great game playing. Whatever they're doing against Kaprizov is is uh, bottled him up, and so you're going to have to try different things to try to get him going. Because you're right. I mean, you can't just count on guys on your third and fourth line giving you that unexpected scoring because you know that's just not a reliable way. You need your top players. Uh, so um, it'll be interesting. I would assume going back to that, what we were talking about is you know the full you know, bringing everything you have tomorrow night. I would assume Parisi draws in now Park with his energy and, you know, just having, you know, his presence back in there. I would think it has to be him, right? It's him or Boldy. And that I, it has to be Parisi. I'm sorry. Uh, here's the thing. Parisi isn't. So Parisi's speed 
in this series is going to be a serious detriment, which I think they, they will look at. And the other thing is, if he comes in, if he draws in, I don't think he replaces Johansson. I think Bukestead or somebody moves up to the third line and Parisi plays on the fourth line and, and he do, does not play much. Uh, the fact that Boldy is young and faster and has thrived at every place he's played makes him an intriguing option. And Chip, I'll tell you this, and I don't, don't know if you agree. Perhaps you'll think it's a conspiracy theory on my part because I do enjoy those. But <laughs> but do you but 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 do you have a feeling by this point in time with Parisi, it's also become a little political? Um, like I think it started as a you're really not good enough to play now, but I feel like it's jumped to something that's more like I'm not I'm not going to be nearly as shocked if he doesn't play as I would have been two weeks ago if the situation was the same. Yeah, and, and I do know you love conspiracy theories. We work together for. Uh, yes, uh, well, if it is Boldy, then and I, I don't know that Parisi was coming back next year, anyways. But that would definitely be the final. You know, if he can't draw, come back, yeah, yeah, I don't either. But um, but they may look at it as you know what he for. It could be some political stuff, like hey, we're we're this is another uh, indication that we're you know. Changing the culture, we're turning this over. But I would, if you feel like he gives you your best chance, I would not be playing mind games right now. You know, I mean, it would be we're trying to send messages. I would be trying to put my best line about there. And if you feel like his veteran presence um, would help you or, or give you a spark versus someone else, I, I think I go that route. But it, but clearly, they feel like something. You know, he because even when he was playing, he wasn't playing much. You know, he had the, the uh, smallest amount of ice time of being back in the, in the lineup. So, um, but uh, I, I still think you, you go with the veteran and the guy who's played in the playoffs and, and, you know, maybe teammates, maybe gives the fans, you know, gets a little bit something to give you a spark. So I, I, I think I would be a little surprised if it's not him. I, you know, I, there's always the, the narrative of what they should do or what you want them to do. You know, like what, yeah. what, what they should do is probably they're going to they probably should play Parisi. They probably should because he's the veteran. We want them to most likely play Boldy, who is this young, fast, top prospect. There's no better time than right now, basically. You know, Colorado did this with Cal McCarr three years ago. He made his debut in the postseason, had a nice little showing through 10, 11 games where they got bounced in the second round. And now McCarr is obviously one of the best defensemen in the NHL at the same time. I think it's more likely that they do bring in Parisi just because of his veteran nature. But, but to Judd's point, I mean, it, does that does that make him happy? Like, does does is, is it is it more just a political game at this point with with Zach Parisi? Because I I mean, this is it, right? Like, this is the end of the Zach Parisi era. Whether he's being bought out, yeah. traded, or whatever happens this summer going into next season, this is the end of his era for sure. And I would rather see Boldy just because of his more skill and, and he brings, I think, a, a skill set that this team desperately needs to match up with Vegas and maybe even Colorado down the road if you're lucky enough to get there. But it, it is going to be an interesting one because Johansson clearly I don't think is going to play on in game. Four. No, well, yeah, and, and Dean said last night, he said, what do you say, it doesn't look great. So yeah. I'm guessing something, you know, arm, looks like he smashed his arm into the, into the post there. Is there any chance... You bring in both players. Is there anyone else that gets scratched out of that lineup? Ooh, talk about conspiracy theories. Talk about <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't given this a bit of thought, but yeah, I, I mean, you certainly could, right? And you could play 
Like you're not gonna. I, I think Bukestad safe because he is. He's been very. Or I, I thought he. I thought he actually was good last night and thrived after jo, uh, Johansson went out. He played pretty well at times. Um, I guess the guy. I guess the odd man out to be scratched would be Sturm, because. But you know he's pretty good on the PK. I know he is, and and he opens the PK with Benino, which to me, yeah. But, but like Dean doesn't seem to trust him five on five as much, and you could move. And you could move. Theoretically, Bukestead to center because he he can play there. Uh, you that might be too Parisi, much changing. <laughs> Parisi know? on the wing. Well, that's the thing with Dean is I don't sense he likes change at all. Like I think once things are set, he likes to ride that as long as possible. He'll juggle lines, but I think as far as the lineup construction goes, as far as who's playing, he likes to keep that the same. I, I'm just saying that I don't think that they would bring in two new guys or two guys who haven't yeah. been playing. But there certainly would be a path to do it if you thought that that would would help you. But your point about Sturm on the PK is the best one because I got to think if you open PKs with him out there, there yeah, there's not. there's a value that you don't want to lose for the sake of trying to juggle things. Yeah, I, if a guy's on your top PK unit, I mean, are you really going to scratch him at this point? Um, I actually thought he did a really nice job last night. I like him a lot. I'd play him more. Yeah. I play yeah. more. I I like his speed. I think he his speed things. is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Dean is uh, D, there, there's a few things. There's a few Dean Everson things that he's been very steadfast about. And one is Rask just plays no matter what. Yeah. And and um, the second one to me is that Sturm either stays in that role or gets scratched. And like there doesn't seem to be a lot he can do to get moved up. He was moved up. Uh, occasionally and also scratched during the course of the season, but it, it seems right now like they've got him exactly where they want to play him. Yeah, and when you look at their uh, Vegas's goals last night, I mean, it's hard to pin those on Talbot, right? I mean, you know, the first one was just a good goal. I mean, Stone, you know, he's in the slot. makes it. You know, well, yeah, the Wild watched the play. Yeah, second one, Sturm drops his stick and he's going back to retrieve it. it you know, bounces off the backboard and yep. Gordon pops over his stick. And then the third one hit, I think it hit Brodine like up near his shoulders or head and just was falling around there. So it's like, yep. yeah, it's not weird goals, but kind of the puck luck goals there where it hits you and, you know, but, um, so I, yeah, I, I, I don't think you bring, you, you take Sturm out of lineup. You know, um, I I would agree too. I, I'm just saying that would probably be the only way to get both of th- those guys in. I don't if again I have no idea what the appetite to play Zach is. Like I just don't. I can't tell. Well, well, not great, obviously, because he, right. Know. But but I'm saying so. I I think you're right. I think he'll play. I'm just saying. I, I if there's more going on behind the scenes that we don't know about, where they really don't want to play him. There are alternatives, but yeah, I I think Sturm's done a nice job, and I don't think Sturm has done a thing that should get him scratched. No, and you know, the one you you know, I don't think you penalize him for going back and getting a stick and score a goal. I mean, that's right. I don't know what he's supposed to do at that point. Um, if Parisi draws in, it will be interesting to see how he plays and where he's at. Is there? You know, does he play angry? You know, is there some motivation? Is he, you know, fresh? Um, has some fresh legs? He could give him a spark, Judd. I mean, for all, you know, his age yeah. and he, he's 
you know, probably doesn't fit with the style of play that they want to do, the faster pace. But um, if you wouldn't be motivated in that spot, then you probably, you know, it's not going to happen. You know what? I would never accuse him of of not bringing it or not being motivated Correct. properly. 100%. I would yeah. never accuse him of that. I, I really think the question would be, could he translate that to keep up? Yeah, physically. Because, like, I, I don't ever yeah. think – I mean, I certainly have issues with how that team ran with Zach and Ryan back in the day and things like that. Uh, but I've never and never will question effort there. Like, no, no. <laughs> like, like there, there, there's never been. I mean, I it was it was really dumb to stay on the ice to supposedly try and help get Felino an empty net goal against the Golden Knights in the the uh, first time that they met during the season, and that got him scratched, and it probably should have. Yeah. But that being said, I don't think effort has ever been a problem. No. It, it, it would my my question back to what you just said would be could he translate what he's feeling and his desire to be effective into the speed of the series and I just don't know. He would be certainly rested, so like you wouldn't be tired, but that still doesn't mean that you suddenly um uh gain miles per hour because you're not tired, especially in, in against teams like this that are so skilled. Well, that's the thing. It's like, it's, I mean, this is a fast paced series and it probably would be hard to just jump in that and be at the same level that, um, and maybe, maybe you can, I, I don't know, but it just seems like it might take you a little bit to get your, your game up to speed with, <laughs> with the foul. And I don't know there's a gear, but I don't know. He's got the gear too. Yeah. Um, like, like you're right, he might, he, you know, after being sitting and and you know and yep. bottled up, it may come flowing out where you you know you have that jump because you're so anxious and mad or whatever emotions he has. He probably has a lot of emotions right now, mm-hmm. um, so maybe that that would give you a little spark to play above the level that you you're capable of. Even you know we've seen it, um, but it, but it can't just be that you know it's got to be from the whole group that they should be ticked off this morning. When they woke up, they should be mad. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you saw with the Hartman's quotes, I thought he was the most forceful after yeah. the game where he said, Basically, we didn't do anything, you know? So I'm, I don't know if they're practicing today or, or if he typically gives them the day off the rest, but um, they should wake up pretty angry at themselves this morning. The one thing too, why I, I think they should be really mad and why they blew an opportunity is I'll say this in splitting the first two games, those games were both great. And like game mm-hmm. two, game two, I did not have a problem with that loss. Like it was a tough loss, but, but you played well, like you, you were engaged, you lost. Uh, the golden Knights are really good. But last night was the first game where they blew the opportunity of, of the fact that the guy who led the Knights and goals, Max Pacioretty, who had 24, isn't playing he's hurt and i don't know when he's coming back but every game he doesn't play is basically a gift because like they like the golden knights don't have a ton of guys that can finish they've got really good players but patcheretti is is their guy who can basically bury the puck and with him not playing and you being at home for you to play that well for the first period and then just go in the tank and have nine shots in the last two periods um 
Pacioretty's going to come back here, I would guess, eventually, and it might be tomorrow. And <laughs> yeah, and, and that and that essentially puts an all star on the ice for them. So, like last night was a blown opportunity for a multitude of of uh, reasons. Yeah, and I was following one of the Vegas beat writers, and uh, you know, it almost seemed like they they felt like it was a game time decision, or there was a chance that Pacioretty was going to play last night. So I, I got to imagine the longer this goes, he's going to get in eventually here it sounds like he's close at least so mm-hmm. um now he's been off too so there might be some rust and he has to get up to speed to so you know but it's a really good player you're bringing back into your lineup yes so exactly. um so yeah i mean it's it's um you know if they can play well and get a win tomorrow night you know i think you would that's you know that's the beauty of these playoffs you know, you you came back from Vegas feeling good about yourself. Hey, yep. you know, had two, but happy with the way they played. Now you're angry. Now you're almost feeling like, oh God, your back's against the wall. Now you gotta, you know, so just the ebbs and flow. I think we talked about this on our on our podcast. Judd. Just the ebbs and flows of a playoff series where just the momentum swings back and forth, and one day you feel great about where you're at, and the next day you feel like the sky's falling. You know, absolutely. So what what's your pick for tomorrow then? I think they win. I think they win. Yeah, I think you're going to see their best effort tomorrow night. Um, You know, I I think – I don't think they – they didn't solve. Those first couple – those first two goals felt like they had the blueprint, right? Put the pressure on them, you know. You know, create a lot uh, of – you know, put bodies around them, try to be there for – you know, the – was it the first one or second one was a rebound that Eck got? Um, so I felt like they saw that, hey, this guy's not, you know, invincible. You, you could score in the first couple of games. It felt like they were everything they threw at him, he was just, you know, waving that glove around and catching it. Yep. So I thought it felt like they, they finally were starting to pierce the armor a little bit. And so um, I think they win tomorrow night. I think they, they have their best effort. And um, I think they'll go back to Vegas tied up. I'm, Dex, uh, what's your... yeah, I'm, I'm frozen on the screen right now because I'm just so perplexed oh. on what I could possibly do because uh, my camera's frozen just trying to think about Alex Tuck uh, daggering <laughs> the, the Minnesota Wild from a, from a four, former player's standpoint. My God, I mean, watching him play the, these last few games, you can tell he likes sticking it to his old team. It's it's pretty oh, hilarious. Well, he should. And he should. Mm-hmm. Um, my gut tells me in game four that the Wild, yeah, do bounce back and play their best effort, and it's it'll it'll be the telltale sign for the rest of this series. Because if the Wild don't come out, and, and I know the history, everyone knows the history of the Wild being down three games to one. They did it twice in one year. It was also 17 years ago, a completely different group. I don't want to hear that. So if you don't come out and show up in game four, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty much over. Sign seal delivered, it's over. I think they win as well, but here here's the, the thing that I will say about this team, and I, I think this is the first time I've said this, uh, Chip, about this team this season. I have some doubts. Like that game on Thursday night put some doubt in my mind. Like I thought, I thought I knew who this team was, and I still sort of do. Okay, so I'm not dismissing all of the good that they did in being resilient during the course of the season. But for the first time, I'm like really curious to be like, because because that was those last two periods were so bad, like mm-hmm. they were so yeah. bad, and and I really thought and, and so. In being at the game and watching it, and I'm not sure what you thought, I really thought that they would come out down a goal, so not by much, in that third period on Thursday night, 
and play great. Like I thought, okay, that's a blip. They'll get this fixed. I mean, because for the most part, they've done that. They've gotten things fixed. And so they'll get things fixed and they'll be fine. And they didn't. And so I do think that they'll win. I still like this team. But this is the first time I think during the course of this season where I've been like, okay, I think I think I know this now, but I'm not nearly as positive as I was going into Thursday's game. Yeah, they. you're right. It was <clears throat> They showed you a characteristic that we have not seen. And so it gives you pause. It makes you step back and say, what was that now? Wait a second here, because exactly. they – all a bit about resilience and not being flustered and not being thrown off their game by anything. And, um, you know, you go back to game one and they're just getting run off the ice and it's, they can't do anything right. Well, they came back to the next two periods and we're the better team. Um, and so for them to really have no response last night and just quit playing basically, um, was a head scratcher. And so, but I, I also think, I'm going to give them the benefit of doubt here, Judd. I'm going to say that was a one-off. I'm going to say for whatever reason, they, they stopped. They just fell apart on them, and they couldn't get it back. Um, but I, I'm going to give them the benefit of doubt and say that um, you're going to see uh, probably an inspired effort tomorrow night. And if it's not, I agree with Declan. It's over in five. I just If you lose that one, I don't see them. Uh, as much as we, we just talk about their response and resilience, yeah. um, it, it needs to show up in game four. And I said Knights in, in six, so I need them to win tomorrow night. At least get this thing to six games, okay? You can blow it then, but it, yeah, I'll be very ticked off if, if it's Knights in, in five. Uh, Chip, before we let you go, I got to ask you about this. What was your take on the whole uh, target field um, de- kerfuffle this week? La Russa, um, the home run off Ostadio, uh, who, yeah, I, who, who I guess if I guess if your your mean Mercedes had hit a three one pitch, we're okay with that. But but I mean, what's your what was your whole take? Because I just from a starting point, have you ever in your no. life seen a manager defend a team that ends up with with its manager being suspended for a game <laughs> and the pitcher being suspended initially for three games? It got reduced to two for Tyler Duff. Yeah, I, I thought the whole thing was absurd. I, I must not understand baseball. I really don't. I, I, these unwritten rules, I just it, it makes me roll my eyes. And this is why baseball's got major issues. And and Tony Larusa, honestly, <laughs> basically inviting the Twins to being his guy. It's like, how do you think that's going to go over in his clubhouse? Right. Like, I, here's here's the thing. When you embarrass yourself to the degree that the twins have and you're getting beat that bad and you put out a position player to throw 45 miles an hour don't say anything you deserve anything you get yeah you know what? i don't care what they do he, he could have done cartwheels around the bases and you shouldn't have said anything i mean yeah, yeah. It, it's you're an embarrassment and you're going to be mad because someone swung at three i just don't understand baseball at all i mean just you're right okay, let's say he takes that pitch then he hits the three one that's better. I mean, it, it makes no sense. And so I didn't understand the twins getting mad. I didn't understand, you know, and then coming back the next day and throwing it. And don't tell me, you know, they threw at him. Um, and Larusa ripping his own player. And then, you know, basically saying, I, I didn't have a problem with them throwing at my player. I mean, you got to, you know, you got to atone for your sin. I mean, Honest to God, baseball is so. He said, "He said I didn't think you was throwing at him." I agree with what the twins said. The pitch pitch was behind Mercedes's leg. I saw saw somebody on Twitter 
when Duffy got it reduced, they said it must have been LaRusso there. Yeah. <laughs> it's just fiction. It was the most remarkable thing I've ever yeah. seen. Well, these, like, these, yeah. these, un, these unwritten rules in baseball are ridiculous. I mean, well, well, and then how, and then what I don't get though is if they're unwritten rules. So, like, I would think the rule would read if, if they were actually to commit these rules to a rule book, the unwritten rule would read, thou shall not make a, a team that's down by a lot its pitcher look like an idiot if it's a real pitcher because, you know, that's my profession. And, yeah. and, and, I mean, Williams Astadio, that at that point in time, you know, it's a complete joke. You're right. He's a position player who, by the way, you know, the fans were cheering wildly when he came into pitch because one, the team stinks and they were bored. And it's Astadio, you know, La Tortuga. So, like, the unwritten rule should have a disclaimer saying if it's a guy like La Tortuga pitching and he's basically throwing softballs up there, go ahead and swing. Well, that's the thing. He's throwing EFAS pitches. I mean, it's, they're 45 miles an hour. I mean, it is like slow pitch softball, where you, like the beer league, where you're trying to, you know, crank them over the fence. So I, at that point, you wish, you know, even if you were mad, which you shouldn't have been, just keep it to yourself. I mean, it makes you look, it makes you look silly to come out and saying, yeah, we have, you know, there's some guys that were pretty upset in the dugout. It's like, so getting beat 16 to four didn't yeah. make him mad, but the guy hitting a home run, that's, that's going to push him over the edge. So J- Josh Donaldson was mad. Okay. Big deal. Yeah. I don't care. He's an old school guy. That That's fine. I did, I did realize though. So, so like I, there were a few people on Twitter, you know, who, who were saying stuff about how he shouldn't have swung, blah, 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 which is just stupid. But anyway, uh, it did hit me that if the unwritten rules are truly going to be enforced with at times the next day a baseball being thrown at a person, which is not a great idea. No. Um, it, it hit me what the what they should do. If you are intent on basically saying, hey, we're up by, I, it was 15 to 4 at the time, I think. 15 to 4, yeah. Um, if, you know, if you're intent on saying we're up by 11, that's enough you should be able to decline the at bat because that's yeah. the kneel that's the kneel down sure but i saw i saw a tweet that said well in football they'll you know if if you're up late in the game you don't throw a touchdown pass no cuz you kneel down the victory yeah. formation yeah. the baseball victory and and by the way this would speed up the game so i applaud it if yeah. the white if the white Sox could have said we're all good we're done you know l- let the twins try again uh but but we decline our at bat three outs. Just re- record them seriously. Like if that's going to be your rule, if, if there's yeah. going to be a if there's going to be a baseball kneel down, it's declining. Yeah. You're at bat. Yes, and and okay, can you imagine the purest over that one? <laughs> but but they're the ones who put the guy on the second base. I'm yeah. giving, but I'm giving them a choice here. Do you want to have a three zero pitch swung at, and and I mean yeah, again an EFIS pitch. Or do you want to decline the at bats? Like the peers can't have it both ways here. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. like, like you got to come to my side on something. So I'm giving you a choice. Well, at that the point, White Sox have declined their at bats. <laughs> or when when you get, when you reach the point, you got to put Ostadio out there. That's where you rock when you just come out of the dugout and you kind of tip your cap. Game over. That's it. We're, okay, we're, that's fine too. Ten run rule. That's it. We're we're moving on. I mean, let's let's not have this. You know. Farce that we have to have a guy through a forty-five mile. Night. But I, you know, go back to the the retribution. I hate the idea of throwing. You know, all right, now you got to go out and hit this guy. It's like that's just dangerous. I mean, I know he threw it behind his knees, and but 
when you're purposely trying to, all it takes is one slip up. We saw a guy get hit in the face this week. Yes. Uh, fastball is like, that's a dangerous game to be playing, you know, um, and to make a, you know, for either you tell a guy or a guy feels internally better and like Duffy, hey, I got to throw at this guy's knees or I got to throw at him. I mean, you know, there's too much to go wrong in that. And you, you know, you talk about player safety and now you're purposely trying to hit him with a fastball. Just, I mean, I think that's silly. Well, and, and again, of all the things to seek retribution for, that one is absolutely yeah. the dumbest. But I just, I, I was amazed and, and bemused and also somewhat miffed that the main headline from that entire thing was Tony LaRusa defending the twin. Like, like that's the one, like, like we could talk about the unwritten rules and go back and forth about how Rocco and the twins uh, handled themselves and what the White Sox did as far as their players go. But their manager defended Rip. the twins yeah. and ripped this player. And yeah, I will be internal. Well, you know, we'll handle this within <laughs> the family. Like it's the mob. Yeah, it's like he, he made a mistake. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Is like, imagine being in his clubhouse and seeing your manager rip a guy for hitting a home run that off a joke of a pitch. That's not a way to win over your clubhouse. No, and he's what seventy five, and maybe he doesn't care. I mean, we feel like he's you know, well. His quote, his quote, uh, when they brought the Lance Lynn quote to him for, from the next day, and. Yeah. And Lance, you know, rightfully so, said unwritten rules are going away. That that's BS. Yeah. You play till the game's done. Whatever Lance Lynn said. And Larusa said, "Well, he's got a locker. I got an office." <laughs> that's what he said. I just yeah, yeah. yeah. He's got oh a my god, I got an office. How about that? Oh my gosh. And and by the way, too, the other and I I didn't think Holy to bring this up with Phil. The other thing too, Chip and, and Dex is this one. Okay. So LaRusso is all about the unwritten rules. Don't violate the unwritten rules of baseball. And he directly mentioned sportsmanship. This guy spent the better part of his managerial career writing in the name of some of the greatest steroid abusers yeah. in the yeah. era. And do you want to tell me Tony didn't know? Like, are you telling me, <laughs> oh, 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 Mark, you you look like an Adonis today. And last season you didn't. You didn't lift in weights? Can't wait, yeah. Can't wait to write your name in. You're like, cookies. literally. Tony, <laughs> yes, Tony Larusa spent you know years writing in the names of McGuire and and Canseco and you know how many guys that abuse steroids and he's worried about the sportsmanship of Yerman Mercedes oh. hit a three zero pitch up fifteen to four like just Judd. About, oh my god, Judd, this is where you if you're a writer not being able to get work the clubhouse, oh. It, <laughs> So I thought you, came, yes, you're right. Could you imagine the quotes if you if, if riders were allowed to come into the to the clubhouse and get you know, oh, those guys? I can't even imagine this. Tim story. Anderson, right? Like, like yeah, he, oh, yeah. He took to Instagram, but I would have. Uh, he would be the guy because I mean that's that the day that Larusa got that job, he was the first guy we all pointed to and said, "This ain't gonna work." He's like one of the most progressive, fun, you know, let's do our well, thing players. It you know. You can stomach it when you're winning, but let adversity hit or a tough patch hit, then you'll 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 hear a different tune, I would think. Oh man. Thanks, Chip Scoggins. Great stuff. Much appreciated. You take care, okay? All right, boys. We'll see you. Appreciate All right, you, brother. Bye bye. Oh, yeah. Man. How about that? It's absurd, Judd. How about that? You know, I, I told you and 
Phil, and you know, some people don't understand my love of the White Sox and or my love of the Green Bay Packers, and that's okay. That's you a like story good teams. for a different day. I you're like young. to watch you're... good yeah, teams. You're supposed to. I've well, gotten, and, you, I, and I've gotten, and, and I feel like also it's, it's, it, you should be proud of my sports son evolution. Um, I, I don't just, I don't just rag on a team because, oh, I don't like them. They're doing good. So screw them. Like, no, I want to yep. watch a good team do good things. And also and the other thing yeah, about, about people your age, and this is not a bad thing, but Chips t- talked about his kids who are, are in their teens the same way. You are a big Tim Anderson guy. Love him. Love them, and, but but you tend to gravitate towards, and this is not unusual, and it's great. You gravitate towards players sometimes, probably as much as teams. So if you do that and you like guys, that's fantastic. And so I do not begrudge you your love of the of the Southside Hitmen one bit. Yeah, I I love watching them play, but it's hard for me to go all in when they have this before. And and like by the way, yeah. all of us said this. Everyone said, what the hell are, even if you get off to a good start and you fulfill your win-loss, you know, projections, what the hell are you doing with this guy? What, like, what, and, and, and was it, is it, was it Rick Renteria? Who was their, I think it was Renteria, yeah. their old manager. Yeah. And look, I understand making a change there. Renteria was a player's guy. I think it, the players mostly liked him, but ownership saw, hey, we can do better than this. And I, I get that. Yep. But hiring an old curmudgeon who is just a pain in the ass and the opposite of what that clubhouse is. Like the complete inverse of what that clubhouse is and stands for and wants to be. And you hired that guy? I it 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 is it's beyond frustrating. It's beyond frustrating. And there were choices. There, like, was there were plenty of young, choices. There were good young choices. Like, and like, Joe Girardi is old. Joe Girardi's old school. Joe Girardi's like a bit of an old schooler guy, but also like I could have seen Joe Girardi. I could see that working. I could see that being someone that works in a in a big market like Chicago. I can see it working and him blending his old schoolness while allowing his young players to rise up. I can see that even working well in in Chicago. Um, but it but if I'm if I if I if I'm Tony Larusa, I would I would be grabbing the PXG clubs right now and I'd be hitting the sticks because PXG is a, a proud supporter here of Mackie and Judd. And, and that's what I would be doing. That's what I'd be doing. Yeah, I, I would too. I, and, and the o- only reason why Tony got that job was the guy that owns the White Sox, Jerry Reinsdorf, felt, felt guilty for allowing him to be fired like 33 years ago. Yeah, that's man. the only reason why. And, and look, this guy cheated, but I don't care. A.J. Hinch would have been a good choice. Perfect choice. Yes, that would have been the perfect choice. The Tigers, choice. the Tigers stink. So I mean, this is not an, and he he got the Tigers job. This is not an AJ Hinch problem because Detroit's just terrible right now, but AJ Hinch is exactly the type of guy in that clubhouse who would have been perfect. Yes. And like they've got a bunch of cuz you're you're dead on about this. They've got a bunch of fun young players who express themselves, which by the way is a great thing in baseball today. And but I mean, how do you like the quote? And Lance Lynn, while here, was a pain in the ass. So I ordinarily don't mind seeing him put in his place. He's good now, but uh, but how do you like the quote? You know, he's got a locker. I've got an office. I like do. this old school pulling rank BS. Um, that and look, I'm 51. Okay, I get the old school mentality. I get the old timers. Um, but if you really think that today's especially young players, when they see a quote like that, have any respect. And that's what matters. 
So like, it doesn't matter. I I could be like, oh, good, Larusa's showing, you know, because he's showing them who's boss. It okay, that's great. Guess what? They're gonna tune him out. Yeah, they are going to tune him out. He's this is not the old school. Oh my god, I'm gonna lose my job. Tony doesn't like me. It is the bleep Tony. Yeah, and so yeah, the the one thing I told you and Phil this the one good thing to come from this entire thing is. This as long as he's there, it definitely hurts them. Yeah, like they they might be the best team in in the division, but his presence hurts them. Yeah, because they're never going to reach their maximum capabilities, in my opinion, until a guy who says he's got a locker, I got an office, is gone. The fool. He's a should fool. we get to pre- should we get to it, Predator? Let's do it. I'm ready. I am okay. ready to get to the chopper. I can't believe I had never seen this film. Like yeah. you, I'm not surprised because you're young. Again, I'm 51. I was 17 when this came out. Mm-hmm. How did I not stop on this film at some point in time in the last 30 some odd years? I don't know. But you know what? I did this week. We talked about it. We broke it down. Predator is our action movie rewind. The Meadows at Mystic Lake has modified its golf policies to follow the COVID-19 public health recommendations and welcomes you to play this award-winning public golf course. It offers a unique, challenging, and scenic golf experience. The Meadows at Mystic Lake is a full-service golfing destination, enhanced by nearby food and entertainment, including the Meadows Bar and Grill and Mystic Lake Casino Hotel. It's never too early to book a tee time or shop the pro shop. Stop in or visit GolfTheMeadows.com. That's GolfTheMeadows.com. Owned and operated by Shakopee Midwakanton Sioux Community. I don't know what it was. It changed colors. Like the chameleon. It uses the jungle. You saying that Glenn and Hawkins were killed by a f- lizard? You're not going yet. Look, the rendezvous is 10 to 12 miles away from me. You think the chopper's going to wait? Dylan, we make a stand now where there would be nobody left to go to the chopper. There is something else. When the big man was killed, you must have wounded it. Blood was on the leaves. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Reviews with Mackie, Judd, and Rami. Get to the chopper! Yippee-ki-yay, mother... You used to be somebody I could trust. I woke up. Why don't you? You're an asset. An expendable asset. And I used you to get the job done. Got it? My men are not expendable. And I don't do this kind of work. I just want to say, finally, we get to find it. After over a year, Manny Hill put together the original Action Movie Rewind open for us, and uh, we miss our guy Rami, who's killing it over on the fan in Milwaukee. He's still in the intro, but we've 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 reviewed every movie that has a clip there, except for Get to the Chopper, and that's where we are. Run! Predator from nineteen. 19- 87. And honestly, I could just watch an hour and a half of Arnold Schwarzenegger yelling some variation of, Get to the chopper! Chopper! Get toys for the carpet! Tuma! It's a a Tuma! All right, here's the summary of Predator from 1987. Dutch, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, a soldier of fortune, is hired by the U.S. government to secretly rescue a group of politicians trapped in Guatemala. But when Dutch and his team, which includes weapons expert Blaine, played by Jesse Ventura, 
and CIA agent George, played by Carl Weathers, land in Central America, something is gravely wrong. After finding a string of dead bodies, the crew discovers they are being hunted by a brutal creature with superhuman strength and the ability to disappear into its surroundings. 81% on Rotten Tomatoes. Pretty good, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Critics consensus on Rotten Tomatoes says part sci-fi, part horror, part action, all muscle. <laughs> it's very true. Uh-huh. $18 million budget turned into just under $100 million at the box office. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Carl Weathers, Jesse Ventura. And uh, before we get into all the different categories here, this episode of Action Movie Rewind could probably have used a little insurance for all the things that they blew up in Central America. Federated! Federated is here to help business owners during difficult years, during uh, great years, wherever the roller coaster is for your business. Federated is here to help ride it with you. With 100-plus years of experience going back to the early 1900s, Federated has provided risk management tools, peace of mind, you name it, to business owners. Find out more at federatedinsurance.com. And remember, at Federated, it's our business to protect yours. Judd, what was your main takeaway from Predator? Where do we even start with this film? Get to the chopper! This might be the most interesting film to break down of any of the Arnold films that we've done. Because, to be clear, I love them all, okay? I celebrate the catalog of this man. And they're all fun, and they're all they're all basically the same in, in many ways. Except this one has some curveballs that I'd like to That's talk about. Cool. So my takeaway was this. Personally, I hate sci-fi films, so I don't enjoy sci-fi. I just don't. It's not my and, – and look, if you do, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying no, I'm saying you're wrong. I, I was born as a guy that does not like them. But what this did, and it had, it had to be, if not uh, ahead of its time, it certainly had an idea uh, years and years ago since this was 1987. My takeaway was this was a very solid combination ultimately – of of action which i love like i love killings i love action i like that and sci-fi there are definitely flaws don't get me wrong i'm not saying that this is perfect but it so it had action it had sci-fi and then here's here's sort of the the breaking pitch curveball that gets thrown in here that i really really appreciated because i do like this it had a bit of an element of friday the 13th yes i wrote like this exact the, thing down the predator is like like he's like and look and we'll get into the graphics like 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 we could talk about the generation of the character which you know clearly now sucks but yeah exactly it it had that whole where it's stalking them um which is another element of suspense that leads to violence by the end of this film i think that rotten tomato score is very fair it should be solid and that's where this is uh, a deviation of the Schwarzenegger catalog that makes this different. Well, he, I mean, Terminator was sci-fi, True. right? So he, he actually, he actually did. He kind of created a new genre of like yeah. action sci-fi. The Terminator did Terminator, but Terminator didn't have the, the ultimate suspense that this film went for throughout it. Sure. Like there's like, there is a ton, like the whole woods thing. The scariest part of the wood scenes weren't the deaths. 
They were the suspense of how the deaths were going to occur. The anticipation of death is yeah. worth than the death. death itself. As said Steven by Seagal, by the master. <laughs> as said by the master. So that's my takeaway. Yeah, I mean, it it really is. I mean, the critics' consensus of Rotten Tomatoes kind of nails it. I mean, it's part sci-fi, part horror, part action, and yeah, and uh, it does a pretty good job. So, okay, my main there's a million things to get into here, and we will. But my main, main, main takeaway is that this is one of the manliest movies I've ever seen. <laughs> Right away from the one of the first yeah. scenes when Arnold Schwarzenegger and Carl Weathers, long lost military friends, right? They meet each other for the first time before this mission, and they go and they they go to handshake each other, and the handshake is one of those like you know it's like a it's like a bro handshake. It's the meme. It just it literally turns into them <laughs> arm wrestling each other. Yeah. Like, hey, brother, good to see you, and then they make eye contact and they start arm wrestling each other right out of the gate. You had the one guy that shaved his face incessantly throughout the movie, yes. uh, Jesse Ventura, yes. who's home, very homophobic in this movie, but he gets shot, and then the guy next to him has to point out, dude, you got shot, you're bleeding. I ain't got time to bleed, bleed. which turned into the name of his book, I think, yeah. later on. Right? Yes. Uh, you had the one guy cutting his chest with a machete near the end. It's just like everything about this movie is just manly men doing manly men, testosterone, <laughs> things uh my main takeaway similar to judd's it, it encompasses so many different themes it's not just action there's sci-fi involved there's horror involved like there is an element of horror for sure involved in this film and i love that they waste no time there's no like 35 minute little build up really it they, they get in the jungle they infiltrate this base there's hilarious and ridiculous over-the-top explosions like 20 minutes into the movie I liked that a lot. I know, like, Predator doesn't necessarily show up until, like, what, maybe, like, 45 minutes into it, but you're so captivated by action, you're kind of okay with it. You're kind of, like, un- again, that, that it's the suspense of waiting for it. And, yes, the Arnold and Carl Withers meme, I did, I was laying down, and that scene happens, but three minutes into the film, I was laying down on my couch watching, I did this <laughs> sit-up, but, oh, the meme! I literally did that when it, when it happened. I was like, that's the meme, that's where this is that- from. That needs to be someone, I don't know if it's like Major League Baseball, if it's like Nelson Cruz, Miguel Sano, or Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson. Someone needs to do that for a celebration where something great happens, you walk up, you do the handshake, yeah. and you both stop and make eye contact and arm wrestle each that, other. That is the most steroid-generated meme of all time. <laughs> totally. Like, like, I mean, those two guys were so hipped up on steroids, it probably is off the charts. And, and to Mackie's point, I literally wrote down this exact words, the boys in the plane ride over, full of toxic masculinity and ridiculous behavior. Like, just yes. the way they're talking with one another is absolutely absurd. But yeah, it, it's a really, really good film, and I, I, I will save my ranking, but this, is, this was a fun one to watch. One, one, one. All right, Judd, what was your favorite thing about Predator? Okay, this is my favorite thing was, and this was done, I'm sure, on purpose. It alludes to what you and Declan just talked about, but I thought it was fantastic. It's not only the suspense of, of how the Predator is going to kill th- these guys and when he's going to, but it's the fact that they had built up the platoon to not mm-hmm. be, aside from Arnold, un- they made him unlikable. So you were rooting for Predator. You were rooting for the death. Like when, like, like Dawn w- was watching the film with me, and she's like, "I hope Jesse dies quick." <laughs> they killed him very quickly. They did, and I applauded it. But the fact is, my favorite thing was they actually set the deaths up, and, and because because you didn't know who or what at that point the Predator was, like it was just this weird nebulous thing. 
But my favorite part was the fact that they made the kills not only like effective and suspenseful, but you were almost happy these guys died. That was my favorite part. Yeah. Um, my favorite part was actually more of a Carl Weathers Lifetime Achievement yeah. Award in this movie. So I'm a big Carl Weathers guy, and it, and it occurred to me finally after watching this movie for the first time that he dies spectacularly mm-hmm. in all of his most famous movies. <laughs> Rocky Four, he dies gloriously in the ring against the roided-out Russian. Predator, he dies gloriously. He gets his arm shot off, and he's just like blood everywhere, and he's now he's fighting with one arm. And then he dies. And then Happy Gilmore, Happy Chubbs, Gilmore. Chubbs. Chubbs falls Chubbs falls out the window and, and dies, crashes to his death. <laughs> Chubbs. So so Carl Weathers, my, my favorite part is just like the creative ways in which Carl Weathers characters get killed off these movies. That's awesome. So it's awesome. Oh, that's good. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, he's he's also in a. Declan, what about you? What's your yeah, favorite part? He's a, he's in a prominent role too in Star Wars' Mandalorian, the new TV series on Disney Plus with Baby Yoda. He's one of the main. Have they killed him off yet? They have not. They have not. They have not killed him off. Carl, yet. Carl Weathers? I thought he died. Yeah. Really? No, no, he was. Um, he was in a lot. So he's seventy. Spinoff. Like seven years yeah, back. He's, I think. he's still he's rocking. It. Yeah. Um, my favorite part is just the killings. <laughs> And the strategicness of the killings, just the way, number one, before I even get to the Predator killings, when they go into that base, they take it over, Arnold moves that car, fills it with, you know, explosives, and they blow that up. That was flipping awesome. But then, when Predator gets involved, I mean, for God's sakes, Mac's head gets exploded. His head, like, absolutely gets just blown up. How awesome um, is that? Yeah, Withers' arm gets chopped off and, like, dies kind of really in, like, a, a, a ceremonial way. I thought it was really cool. Also, similar to Halloween, the score, I'm going to get really technical, the score of this movie, the sound, yeah. the, 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 just the music, and like, you felt the fear involved with it. I, yeah, I thought that yeah. usually we don't really get that. in the Like, we get the montages. We get the montage. We get the cheesy, hilarious 80s montages. The score in this film was awesome. I, I really liked it. The kills were great. It was a fun one to do. There is a note about the score here. Um, let me let me find this real quick. Because Wik- Wikipedia had like a full section about the score of this movie. This is worth it. Worth the wait here. Um, by the way, if you ever get a chance to read the full Wikipedia write-up, and we'll get to some of the production notes <laughs> and stuff, but there's like a full section about the soundtrack, and then there's a full page uh, like a like a separate Predator soundtrack page also dedicated to it. Um, so it was composed by Alan Silvestri. It's the the entire score is orchestral. So most of these action movies you have like some sort of pop music slate, but no, this entire yeah. movie it's a seventy minute like the actual soundtrack. It's seventy minutes and it's all orchestral. It's twenty one tracks. So they did, you know, like in like in Beverly Hills Cop and stuff, you know, you got all these popular artists from the time. Um, but bum, this bum, one bum. was very uniquely composed yeah. for this movie. Great score. Uh, Judd, what was your least favorite part about Predator? So this is a combination of things. And one is the time that, that this was done. But because now watching that film, the the special effects or the Chiron or I, I don't know what you officially call their attempt um, is so poor by today's standards 
My issue is the end of the film. So Dex is right. The suspense throughout the course of the film was great. Like they did a really good job of building it up and you didn't know exactly when guys were going to die in the rainforest. Uh, that was fantastic. But the actual confrontation I thought between the predator and Schwarzenegger um, Dutch at the end took too long to get to because they, because you were getting special effects now that are just hard to watch. And it was like, Oh, okay. The whole predator thing. They like when the predator revealed himself as that, that's actually cool. But getting there, they clearly at the time were, were like, let's, let's have a slow build and that's fine. But by that point, like he had established himself as scary. So I didn't need it to be that slow. Now, if they remade the film now and the special effects were up to date, I might feel differently. Uh, but it clearly was all um, an attempt to lead up to the explosion in the in the rainforest, which was spectacular. And now in today's standards would be really cool. But that was my my least favorite part was how long <laughs> that, that took. Amazing impression. It- Oh, 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 his laugh when he's when he's yeah, evil him. laugh. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Love me. Yeah, so funny. that so so I I would have just gotten to the end quicker because I didn't need as much. Uh, by the way, this movie did get nominated for an Oscar for best special effects, best visual. Effects. I'm sure it did it at the nominated. time. Yeah, it looks yeah, it was... like Atari now. <laughs> yeah, it was... like his heat seeking yeah. thing to see people. It's like, are you looking through like crayons? <laughs> it looked like a crayon drawing. Um, my least favorite part of this movie was this is nitpicky, okay? Because I I did enjoy for the most part the thirty minute showdown at the end. Like the last thirty minutes of this movie was just Arnold versus the Predator, yeah, one on one. Everyone else is dead or has <laughs> run to the chopper, right? And so my my least favorite thing within that amazing thirty minute chunk is that you have a shape shifting. Invisible when they want to be alien, who has traveled here presumably from some faraway corner of the universe, or maybe even a different universe entirely. So this this predator or alien, if you will, has far superior technology, weapons, strength, greater than we can ever comprehend, right? He has traveled here from some faraway universe and is is just wreaking havoc. But apparently he can't see humans through mud. Yes. Yeah, because it doesn't work, man. It doesn't he work. He can't see humans through no. mud. And I would, I would argue that his, his, his vision overall seems to be somewhat impaired, maybe to the point where he should get some glasses or something, well, he, some he better contacts. Okay? Oh, yeah. And yeah. So, so Arnold, and by the way, he also yeah. gets tricked by throwing rocks. So Arnold is, he's caked in mud. And to distract the predator, he takes a rock from the tree and throws it. And the predator reacts to it. It's like this this predator is yeah. hundreds, maybe thousands of years further evolved than human and has come here and has a full plan to wipe out Green Beret soldiers, but somehow can't see Arnold through mud being caked on his body. I just felt like, was there some other, okay, yeah. there's there's a kryptonite. Like in the movie Signs, remember when they found out what the alien's weakness was? It like their body is is sensitive to water. I could get that, right? Like maybe there's a maybe there's a gas or a liquid or something yeah. that would not jive with their body and that makes some sense, right? And, do- and doorknobs. They couldn't open doorknobs. Well. Doors, that's right. Doors. As well. <laughs> but I just I just find it hard to believe that like the mud being caked yeah. on Arnold would be the thing that prevents <laughs> the predator from wiping out this whole group. So Arnold a- needed to have yeah. a chance, man. That's in part one of my least believable part is just like mud? Mud is this week like that's his Achilles heel literally like that mud like it, it's absolutely absurd. Um, my least favorite part though 
is the Anna character. So she's like this hostage, and it clearly seems like she's either maybe has grown up in this jungle, or she's just like was taken a hostage from the first infantry that they like that they infiltrated. I can't really get a vibe off her. She doesn't speak English for the first half of the film, and then Arnold just like picks her up, and she like, oh yeah, I can totally speak English, and uh, that, that's fine. I'll, I'll communicate with you and your native tongue. That's totally normal. And it's like, well, wait a minute, what the hell? What do you? What, what's the front here? And then there's a scene where uh, Predator is looking down at them from the tree, and Anna like frighteningly kicks a gun, and it actually hits the Predator. Like, and Predator gets like startled and goes like ah, like he gets absolutely like he actually gets hit by the gun. So you're telling me of all throughout up until the end when like he gets self-destructed by Arnold, the most damage they did was when she kicks a gun at him, and like that was the at the time the most damage he well one of the most damage he took he was bleeding I remember that one part, but still like I just I didn't understand her character arc at all I don't think it was needed I don't think it was needed I wish she would have died well wasn't she that was, was I mean, Arnold was not in any of the subsequent Predator movies but she was right she was yeah she is she's in the yeah. other Predator films but yeah I I did not like her character was not a fan. All right, least 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 believable part of this movie, and really quick, and just the way Predator died. I like, I I kind of wanted a little more pizzazz instead of just like himself. What do you mean more pizzazz? Dude, they blew the whole thing. Blew the whole thing. I I wanted a how much more pizzazz do you want? I I I didn't like. And that was the weird thing is like why why would he die? Like he's a cyborg of sorts. Also, why didn't why didn't Arnold finish him off with the rock to the head? Yeah, Arnold eased up at the end there. The way it just dude just you just killed all your friends. But why would the rock to the head kill him? Shouldn't he? Shouldn't he like, um, like tree stuff be, be able to regenerate? Terminator like? Well, no, he did the. He, you know, he hit him with the tree stump. Yeah, the tree stump. And then, and then, and then he wasn't. He was bleeding out, but he wasn't dead yet. And then Arnold had a, a, a large stone that he was about to throw down to finish him. But he he must have thought, oh, the guy's bleeding out, so I'll just let him. By bleed the way, out. that green blood, that green blood didn't do it for me. I wasn't buying that green blood, man. You got to have a better <laughs> special effect than that. I know it's 1987, but get your act together. Well, it's funny you brought that up. Um, I'm trying to find the section here, but they literally used. Uh, it's on a different website. So they used the green liquid from glow sticks as the blood in this movie. Originally they had some other sort of orange, like ooze or liquid, and it just came off really bad on camera. Okay. And so they wanted a green colored thing. And so they literally went and bought like those glow sticks that you would go find at, you know, a carnival or something or the midway. Mm -hmm. And they bought a bunch of those glow sticks and uh, broke them open and used the green ooze and liquid, which by the way, who knows what's in that liquid. I, I would be nervous. Like, wait a second, you want me to put that on my body? Wait a second. Uh, I don't know if that feels safe. It's for the art, man. The art of the film. I guess. All right, Judd, least believable part of Predator. Um, To Declan's least favorite part, my least believable was twofold in, and by the way, it was a spectacular scene, but in the first one where they're going in, where Dutch and his crew are going in to do what Carl wants them to do and basically um, try and free the hostages, and I, I'll use that in air quotes, free the hostages, by going in and attacking that, um, basically what comes off as a terrorist camp in the mm-hmm. rainforest. And they go in there, and and now, now I know that Weather's character had lied to Arnold's character about what they were doing. But nonetheless, at that point in time, they think that they are going in to save the hostages. 
They proceed to shoot that camp up to the point of no one could have, and they didn't survive. So, like, if the hostages are, like, in a back room, right, they're stashed somewhere. Like, they're blowing the entire camp yes. up. They are, like, they and, – and at this point in time, I believe the guys in the unit are, like, we got to save these two people. And meanwhile, they are bombing them. They're shooting everybody. They aren't asking any questions. They They are making no attempt to rescue anybody. And then – and then that dovetails into so the only person that survives the attack is Anna, and you're gonna drag her through the woods at that at that point in time she's part of the, the terrorist camp right, and you've decided she's got too much information that you're going to drag her with you through the woods through the rainforest back to the chapa the chapa the, the whole time and she doesn't want to go so she's trying to resist. To me, the whole thing, that whole thing is so convoluted. Now, where's she trying to go too? like, wouldn't she see a bunch of. Well, and how does she not die? Everybody (laughs) else, every other enemy died. Like they literally those hot. If there were hostages, which there I think ultimately weren't. But if there were, they would have died, too. One hundred percent. I also love the fact that they went in there and like like you said, they're in their mind. They're trying to save hostages. But they're also kind of going like room to room or building to building. And every time they go to a new place, even though they have just gone complete like nuclear destruction button on everything that they've – every new room or or building that they come across, it's like the people weren't expecting them. Like there was one scene where <laughs> right. they, had been, they had been shooting up and yeah. like it's, it's a war zone. And they, they bust into one of the rooms and there's just like a guy reading a newspaper like, what? Yep. <laughs> it's like, wait, wait, buddy, you didn't, like, you didn't hear the it's like two guys playing cards. machine gun rounds for the last half hour. Out there. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, yeah, I, honestly, that was my uh, my my least believable part was just sort of the uh, the, the, the the initial shoot 'em up scene in Central America and how Arnold got tricked into going on this mission and like kind of how they got into the plot. But. Uh, yeah, Declan, what about you? You're yes. least believable. So least believable part is the mud. Just like, of, of all the great things that this predator can yeah. do, he's it, it's insane. And then this is like, again, a little nitpicky. And but and, and I, thank God, will never go to war. If there is a draft, I am choosing the option to go to jail. Like, I, I am not going to war. I know my limits. I would not thrive in, ba- in basic training and boot camp and in the jungle. <laughs> Send me to jail. Be, I will be that terrible American. I, I'm not serving. I just I I I can't do it. I know my limits. But the scene where these three dudes are skinned alive, skinned alive, right? And like the entire infantry is like, oh wow, we're dealing with some really crazy guerrilla warfare. What people are skinning people alive like that? I don't think that's hap. I don't think human beings are capable of skinning people alive like that. I mean, a little history lesson. I know, like way back when white people were overtaking. Um, Native American land. I, I, and I, this might have gone both ways as well. Like they would sure. skin. I think they would skin like the head. Of the, like they would take the okay. hair off Scal- of dead Scal- bodies. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. scalp yeah. people. Like I get that, but like these are you. Like, that, that's okay. Yeah, but like, don't skin but no, that's my legs. Oh, I get that. That's believable. <laughs> this is the entire skin is gone. Do it. Was he yeah. okay? Clarification point. Was the predator? Because they showed a scene near the end where the predator. There was another body up in the tree or whatever. Yeah. And the predator, uh, like they showed him holding a clean skull. Did he eat that skull like a chicken wing, or did how, how did that skull become free of like muscles and you know? it. 
And and I think he so I think I, I read a note um Wikipedia I think Phil at the end of the film when right before the predator self destructs that his laugh is one of the laughs of of one of the men that he had killed so like he somehow oh. he somehow I I think the implication was he somehow by skinning them alive took parts of their body into himself okay and could replicate yeah, their but he, like, but he can't see through mud okay yeah sounds okay. Okay. everyone's got flaws dude. Okay. All right. Everyone's got flaws. Predator yeah. had some flaws. I did write down. I'm glad Declan brought this up. I wrote down. It didn't really fit into one of the categories, but dead, bloody bodies hanging upside down equals terrifying. That was and that's then they, true. Right. It wasn't just like a quick glance at them. They showed them for several minutes as well, and then, and they, then cut they peel them back down that and, one tree branch or the one tree thing, and it's like several of them. Yeah. It's like six of them hanging there. Yeah, like on uh, meat hooks. I will say before we get to production notes, I am happy that the inappropriate jokes guy got killed. Inappropriate jokes. Yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They wanted you to be happy yeah, about yeah. that. Yeah, they did so a great that, job. Yeah. So that guy was the main screenwriter, I think, for uh, what's it? Was it Commando? Oh, I read in the Wikipedia notes. Um, and and they brought they brought him on as an actor, but also a guy that could help. He's uncredited, but he made like script changes throughout Predator, just behind the scenes. And then I believe he went on to either direct or produce one of the later Predator movies, like 20 years later. So, uh, I was pro- glad when he died. You're right. Production notes. Oh, wait. Can can I give give you two more quick things? Sure. Sure. All right. This is true of all films like this, but I feel, I feel like it's an Arnold staple. In all Arnold films, have you noticed, like, he'll, he'll get winged by a bullet or something? And he'll be like, oh, ow. and then for like a second, he'll be bleeding and it'll look, oh, man, this might be bad. And then they just sort of it's gone. Yes. Like he nobody rebounds like he self generates. He does. He well, like in, gets, in, in Terminator. It makes sense. Right. Well, that one, it makes sense. But I'm saying like in this one, there were moments where he was pretty devastatingly injured. Yeah. Like you thought this might be it. And instead of it be, being like, how is he going to get through the rest of the film with his arm shot? It just sort of goes away. Yeah, I uh, I agree. It is it is kind of funny that he just brushes off these massively massively serious injuries. So yeah. Anyway, um, production notes following the release of Rocky Four, which came out like two years earlier, a joke circulated in Hollywood that since Rocky Balboa had run out of earthly opponents, <laughs> he would have to fight an alien if a fifth film were to be made. And by the way. Uh, if they would have had him literally fight an alien inside of a ring, it would have been better than Rocky Five and the way that turned out to be. So screenwriters Jim and John Thomas took the inspiration from the joke and wrote a screenplay based on it. The script for Predator was originally titled Hunter, and then they wound up changing it to Predator. Uh, and then, obviously, Arnold was approached, and they, they, they pretty much nailed all the cast members that they wanted to, except for this one. Jean-Claude Van Damme was originally cast as the Predator with the intent that the physical action star would use his martial arts skill set to make the Predator an agile ninja-like hunter. But when the 5'9 Van Damme was compared to Schwarzenegger, Weathers, and Ventura, all actors over 6 feet tall and known for their bodybuilding regimens, it became apparent a lot more physically imposing man was needed to make the creature more threatening. Uh, additionally, it was reported that Van Damme constantly complained about the monster suit being too hot and causing him to pass out. <laughs> Are you serious? I didn't read that note. That's fantastic. 
So, uh, yeah, so Jean-Claude, apparently it was like a 200-pound suit. I mean, you saw it. Like, it's just... Yeah. They got the helmet and the big torso. Why do you keep passing out? They'd have to take the head off of it and be like, hey, Jacques-Claude, wake up. Okay. I'm also wondering, how did the how did the Predator know? And maybe, maybe it didn't matter because he was about to – well, no, he wasn't. When he took his mask off, he didn't think he was going to die yet. Right. But how did he know that – I'm assuming that that mask was to be able to breathe in whatever air he needs to breathe in. How did he know that he was going to be able to breathe Earth air? I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they did their research. It's a very, very in-depth question. All right, so definitive bad guy rankings and the criteria we judge on the iconic, ruthless, and charismatic nature of said uh, bad guy. So Terminator from The Terminator, Hans Gruber from Die Hard, Michael Myers from Halloween, Cyrus the Virus from Con Air, Simon Phoenix from Demolition Man, Brad Wesley from Roadhouse, and Cobra Kai from Karate Kid make up the top villains that we have rated to this point. Just to keep going down the list, Mr. Joshua from Lethal Weapon, Ivan Drago from Rocky Four, the big one from San Andreas is a villain. It's an inanimate object, but it's a villain. The Russian mobsters from John Wick and Dennis Hopper from Speed round out like the top 12 here. Yep. So, and we could go to the bottom, but I, I don't know. No, I think we're, no. We're playing in the top 10 here. We're, we're for playing, we're, we're playing yes. in the top 10, 100%. Oh. 1,000% okay. iconic. Yeah. it's So iconic, it's one of the most iconic yeah. bad guys. It's one of the most ruthless bad guys. Yep. And I would even add, okay, it's not number one charismatic, but a little more charisma, like stealing voices and the evil laugh at the end and the green blood. Like there's a And Arnold's line to him at the near, near the, the end, you're one ugly mother. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, this is iconic. I what, go back to the top five. Phil. Yeah, what's the who top in the five? top five again? The Terminator is number one. Hans Gruber from Die Hard is number two. Michael Myers from Halloween is three. Mm. I I feel like it's hard to crack that top three with this, and I okay. think the conversation starts with these next four. Okay, Cyrus the Virus from Con Air, Simon Phoenix from Demolition Man. I think he's above Brad Wesley from Roadhouse. He, yes. I, so I didn't see Con Air. I have not seen Con Air. So I, 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 oh I, we should I, do that one again. Ma- we should Malkovich, just do it again. Malkovich is fantastic. Um, yeah. So I, but he's ahead of those other two, one hundred percent. He's yes. way ahead of Brad Wesley and and whoever else yeah. was. Like easily, easily. Yep. I, yeah. I, I feel I like would, Brad Wesley is probably too high on this list, but yes, you know, it's already, I, I, it's already. I, I, I still think so, but it's too late. Yeah. I think we can make a case for the the fact that this character should maybe even be above Cyrus the Virus. Wow. Yeah, because the, I mean, the, the name movie of the film. is named after. It's the name yeah. of the film. Okay. Um, it's not. It's not his fault that in '87 the, the the actual it doesn't. It's not great throughout the entire thing, but it's still scary throughout the entire thing. And then when he does reveal himself, he's one ugly mf'er. Yeah, <laughs> I'm. I'm with that. I think it's they're, they're sort of neck and neck. I mean, Cyrus the Virus is one of the most. I think Cyrus the Virus has him with charisma. I think it's a wash with how ruthless they both are. And I think in terms of iconic nature, the Predator is a notch and a half above Cyrus the Virus, which puts him over the top. The name of the film is not Cyrus the Virus. Yeah. Probably should have been, though. Oh, Malkovich, so good. So, yeah. So, so Predator becomes number four on our definitive bad guy rankings of, like, the 50-plus movies we've reviewed. Terminator 1. Hans Gruber from Die Hard, number two. Yep. Michael Myers from Halloween, number three. Predator, number four. Okay. Yeah. Feel good about that? Yes, I do. All right. Now we get to just the straight up one through 10 rating. 
based on how much you enjoyed or not this movie? Start with Judd. Um, I'm going to give it a nine. This film was really solid. This film was really good. I'm, I'm not going to penalize it for, for the fact that in retrospect now, um, it clearly graphically or um, Chiron generated is not great. But I mean, for what they were trying to do at that time, and it gets a lot. It gets a lot of points. Like it has. It has. Think about the check marks in this film. Arnold one-liners iconic i mean get to the chop there's no there's no arnold line like that one get to the chop Choppa. and he says it like four times so they're, yeah. they're like hell yeah we got gold here let's mine it um the cast of characters that gets killed you're delighted they're killed because and you know i mean jesse dies i'm like yeah it's about time so anyway go through that whole thing i'm giving it a nine i think it's that good yep i'm with judd it's a nine it's a very entertaining wow. film um i i I I had expectations, but I did not think it'd be this good. I've seen bits and pieces of this movie, never from start to finish. It's a nine. I really really like this movie. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, so I'm torn between a nine and a nine and a half. I'm just splitting hairs here. I'm gonna go. I'll go with you guys. It's a nine. It's a nine. So the the only three tens we have given are Terminator, Die Hard, Halloween. Um, and by giving this all three a nine, it means it's a nine average score which puts it right behind Taken, John Wick, and Commando, and tied with Beverly Hills Cop. So it's right in there as one of the best movies we have reviewed. I'm comfortable with that. It's yep. iconic. Um, if I had given it a 9.5, it would have been slightly above Beverly Hills Cop and tied with Commando. So, you know what? You do go it. You, yeah, do it. Do, do it. it. All right. That's a 9.5. It deserves to be. It's, it's tied with Commando. Yep. yep. tied with Commando. You know what? I think that's incredibly fair. Yep. So how about that? So by the way, uh, of like the that. top ten movies that we have done, was was Arnold was in the Expendables, wasn't he? Yep. Or was he not? He's yes, briefly, briefly in the Expendables with Bruce Willis, yes. right? Yeah, he's a cameo. Yep. So of the of the ten movies we have, the top ten movies we've done, Expendables, Terminator Two, Predator, Commando, and Terminator One. Arnold is in fifty percent of the top ten movies. Yeah. I mean, he's he is the George Washington on the Mount Rushmore. Right? He deserves it. Yep. So there it is, boys. Wow. Um, pretty, pretty good stuff. Before we go, I do have to bring up one thing, because this was 80s gold, and, and, and the fact that they did this took balls. How about the end where they do the freeze frame with the actors' names and they're smiling? That's yep. right. I mean, yeah. where did that come from? Like, I get that at the end of TV shows at that time. <laughs> that was very common. But, like, you know, Jesse Ventura, and he's got the sm- yeah, I mean they're all dead, right? And we do the freeze frame. Somebody said we got to do the freeze frame. They should have shown their dead bodies instead. But I mean, there's. But the best part is, it was like it was like a episode of Full House just came <laughs> to do then. They're all smiling and laughing, and it's like you know, Bob Saget. He's been dead for forty five minutes, but here's Bob Saget. How great was that? Family Matters with uh, Reginald Vell Johnson coming down the steps. Yes. Exactly. I love the I love those late eighties, early nineties, like three minute long sitcom intros where yes. they intro ten cast members and they play the iconic song. Now they just get right to the content. Yes, but anyway, I love the fact that these guys are all dead. The film is done. Like it was a pretty grueling film as far as what you had just seen. Yeah. And it's like, but here's the last thing you're gonna see. And I think the only <laughs> character they showed who didn't smile was Arnold. Yep. Like they showed him, but he's like still Serious, and the rest of them are like in a pose of like Jesse Ventura, yep. uh, Carl Weathers. You know, he's got like two thumbs up. <laughs> Love it, uh, boys! For next week's action movie rewind, Rush Hour, the mid nineties okay. Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker classic. Mm-hmm. 
It's the fourth on it. We had we had a, sort of a jump back in list of four movies, and this will be the fourth one before we get to some other ones on the list. So Rush Hour next week with Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker. I know I saw this. I remember seeing the second. I've seen this movie before. But I remember seeing the second one in theaters. I don't know if I saw it. 98. I don't know if I saw it in theaters. This is a great movie, though. I, I love Chris Tucker. I and don't. Man, it's been so long. I, I I couldn't even tell you. We'll find out, I guess, if I've seen this before when we fire it up. So, uh, yeah, if you have any other suggestions, we'll find a way to post maybe on one of our Twitter accounts the full list and rankings updated so that you guys can help us create another list of five or ten that we can choose from here. But um, we haven't done face-off yet, mostly because it's oh two hours God. and 20 minutes. But that's face another off. 90s classic. That is a good so one. we'll put together another list. 220? Yeah, it's a long It's ridiculous. Film, I don't Nicholas, think I saw it's it. Nicolas Cage and John Travolta, like at yep. the peak of their fame. John Travolta, and it's like both guys needed to have thrown. We both need. Movies. We need an hour. I need yeah, an hour. Seriously, on camera, you know. Rush Hour one thirty eight. This that's film perfect. Fits perfect. You understand Good. the words that are coming out of my mouth? All right, so that's a action movie rewind here on Mackie and Judd. Billy, you know something. What is it? I'm scared, Pancho. Bullshit. You ain't afraid of no man. There's something out there waiting for us, and it ain't no man. We're all gonna die. Oh my gosh, who lives in that cabin? What's wrong with their lake shore? Look at all those weeds. Ugh, that is the worst cabin on the lake. Don't be such a busybody. Excuse me? They must not know about Aquaside. Is that what we use? Yep, just one application of Aquaside each spring keeps our lake shore weed free. Don't be that cabin this summer on your lake. Eliminate lake weeds this summer with Aquaside pellets. I should tell them about Aquaside. Oh, now who's the busybody? Call 1-800-328-9350 or go to Aquaside.com. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy 5 or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Right now, get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton Shred. Accessories like non-slip grip resistance bands, a heart rate monitor, yoga blocks, and more. Take your workout to the next level with Peloton, motivation that moves you. Hurry, this limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access memberships separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.